One of the things I learned this week, I always start my sermon and push the button so that I can record it. And then I go back on a Sunday and I listen to my sermon so that I can then upload it to the website because I have people that want me to do that so that they can listen to it throughout the week. And I found out that almost every single time after I push the button, I say the word well. And so I determined I wasn't going to do it. And what did I do this morning, just now? (sighs) Pray for me. (laughs) Anyways. Well, let's get started. (laughs) We are, I believe, on the very last sermon in this look at 1 John. Um, God may change my mind between now and next Sunday, but I think we're done. Um, We're at 1 John chapter 5. And so if you'll turn with me to that. Um, We're going to be reading, actually, verses 11 all the way through to the end, verse 21. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death, and I don't say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. And we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who has, excuse me, he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. If we go back to the very beginning of this book, you can recall as we had done this study that John was writing this in the last years of his life to the churches that he had authority over, that he was mentoring, that he was had a burden and a passion for. And we're not told exactly what's going on, but there was an issue that John was trying to address. From our perspective, we think that it was a false teaching about who Jesus was and his divinity and all of that stuff, the Antichrist spirit. And so John is concluding this letter now. Now, think about, again, going back to that time. I mean, we live in the 21st century. It is the day of cheap, fast, and pretty 
lightweight communication. Okay? Look at social media for those of you who are part of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and all of those things. You can be flippant. You can say stuff that has no importance. You can just speak whatever comes to your mind, whether it means anything to anybody else or not, and it'll be out there forever and everyone will watch it and think of you and think of how wonderful and glorious you are. And But if you had to put a 50 cent stamp on every one of those and mail it out to every one of your friends every time you had a thought, you wouldn't put out as much thought, would you? Or you'd take a little bit more time in what you were thinking about. I mean, think about that. If you were to simply put out one postcard with your week of week's worth of insight and thought, what do I want to communicate to my family and friends this week? And you would spend the time to handwrite that thing, then go to Office Max or FedEx, or the public library, or if you have the capability to do it at your house, and spend the money to have it reproduced, and then fold it up, or if it's in a card form, simply address each one, and then put a stamp on it. And again, stamps are 50 cents as of January 31st this year. So now you're talking 50 cents plus the cost of printing, Probably a nickel to a dime for each sheet. Now you're talking upwards of 60 cents for every person you want to communicate with your thoughts for this week. How many people would you want to communicate with? Well, how many family members do you have that you want to send this information out to? And how many of your closest friends? Let's say you have 10. That's $6 a week for you to communicate your thought. Now, $6 for some people, that's not that big of a deal. But for $6 for some other people, that's a big deal. Now think about it on a, a yearly basis. Six times 52 is how much? 310. Just so that you can say what you think and have people read it. John was writing on very expensive Materials, whether it was parchment or papyrus. I don't know what he was writing on. I'm assuming it's parchment. And he then had to maybe spend the money to have it duplicated. And then he had to send it with someone because he couldn't get to the, all of the churches on his own. And so it cost him something to send these words. And on top of that, because it was so expensive for the parchment or the vellum or whatever it was that he wrote on, he had to be sure that the words that he included on that thing, on that letter, were not fluff, but were thought through carefully and were specific to meet the need that he was trying to address. So having all of that in mind, look at what we just read. These are his last words. He started out the letter saying, Danger, Will Robinson, danger, Will Robinson. There's something you need to be aware of. And then he presented his whole argument. And now he's wrapping it up. The final thing to say. And what does he say? He tells them four things that they can know. Now, first of all, verse 13 says, 
I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So first of all, the audience is not the general population. The audience is not his Facebook, you know, thing, but this is a specific communication to those who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says to them, I am writing all of this. Why? So that you may know that you have eternal life. Apparently, it was very important to remind the people over whom he had authority that not only are they a Christian, not only are they a believer in the Lord Jesus, but that there's something of great value that they they have. It's not that they're going to get, but that they have right now eternal life. So, as I was meditating on this section, I was like, okay, if I were to say that to somebody today, and if I was mentoring a new Christian, and I said, one of the most important things you need to know as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is that you have eternal life. What does that mean? Means I get to go to heaven when I die? Means I don't go to hell? Uh, means I have a right relationship with God? Well I, well, I then began to just be quiet, and the Lord brought to my mind a phrase. This is eternal life. This is eternal life. Okay, so I went to my... Uh, my electronic Bible, because that's the fastest and easiest way for me to do a word search. And I typed in the phrase, this is eternal life. And I fully expected to get hundreds, hundreds of references. I didn't. I got very few. Got less than 10, I believe it was. Well, I can tell you how many I got. One, two, three, four, five. And guess where they were found? Take a guess. New Testament or Old Testament? Which do you think? New. New Testament. Where else do you think in the New Testament? Make it smaller, because it's not in the whole New Testament. Where do you think it was found? In the writings of John. John was the only one in all of the New Testament that used the term eternal life. So it was his teaching was something he wanted to communicate. And so I then was like, okay, what, what, what is eternal life, God? As I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to communicate this to my people, if this is the most important thing, because remember, this is him wrapping up a letter, and it's a very expensive thing, and he has to conserve his space and how, how he uses his words. Why is this the primary thing that he wants his people to know? They know Jesus, therefore they know that they have eternal life. Well, first of all, if you go to John chapter 17... Verse 3, it said, Jesus is talking, and this, this prayer that we're not going to read the whole thing of, but in John chapter 17, this is um, after the, 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 the dinner, after the, uh, the Last Supper, and before the arrest in Garden of Gethsemane, 
John includes this whole dissertation of Jesus interacting with his fellows, giving him his last instructions. And one of the things Jesus does in chapter John chapter 17 is he prays what is known as the high priestly prayer. And so when Jesus, verse 1 of chapter 17, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John chapter 17, verse 3, is the definition of what is, to the question, what is eternal life? Reading of that again. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. If you turn to 1 John chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. John writing again in this letter that we've been looking at for so long. Verse 21, chapter 2, verse 21 through 25. I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. Because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. The message is, if you believe in God, Through Jesus, you have eternal life. That is a promise, that is a guarantee. And John said, it is primary of all other things, that you know it. But there was another part of John's writings that talked about eternal life. And this was actually Jesus talking. And it's in chapter 6. And for those of you who have done any length of study on the Gospel of John, you may recognize that chapter 6 is a hard chapter to read. Chapter 6, well, I, I could start at verse 22, but we don't have time to read all the way through from 22 to 70 or whatever it is. So let me just give you a synopsis. At the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. After he dismisses the crowd, he sends his disciples on their way out to the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus goes off into the mountainside to be by himself to pray, to, to recharge his batteries, to commune with the Father. Then when the evening came, um, there was a strong wind, and Jesus came to them walking on the water. And then finally, you know, the Peter, come out to me, blah, blah, blah. Peter starts to sink. Jesus finally gets back in the water. And then it says on the next day, the crowd again comes. And Jesus says, and you didn't come to hear my teaching. You came because you got food. 
And let me tell you, it's not about food that I give you that's going to last for just a few hours and then you poop it out. That's what he says. He said, it's about the bread of life that I offer to you. You need to understand something. You need to understand that if you eat my body and drink my blood, you will have eternal life. Ew? Ew? And it says in verse 41, the Jews grumbled about him because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, Psh, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, don't grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up in the last day. And then it goes on. And then finally it says, the Jews then disputed among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me as I live being because of the father who so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. And the response of his disciples, that's a hard saying. Who can listen to that? But Jesus himself, knowing that his disciples were grumbling, said, do you take offense at this? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh has no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are life and spirit. But there are some of you who do not believe. After this, many of his disciples turned back, no longer walked with him. Now, it's not told us here, but we know from other parts of the Gospels that there was upwards of 150 people that followed Jesus. And at this point in John chapter 6, it seems like there's only 12 left of the 150. And he turns to them and he says to the twelve, do you want to go away too? Simon then turns to him and says, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Eternal life is not just a light, fluffy clouds in the sky, playing golden harps, everything's peaceful. It is a serious matter to say, I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I have right relationship with God through the blood of Christ, which was sacrificed on my behalf. And through the power of God, the eternal God, everything that was wrong has been made right. And as a result of that, that grace and that mercy and that truth, I now know that I know that I know that I know that I am in God and God is present with me. 
And I can walk with confidence, knowing that I have nothing to fear. And when the time comes for me to leave this earth, I know where I will be going. Because I will be welcomed with open arms. Because it's even now that I have eternal life. Because it is life with the God. Life with the Father. Life with Yahweh. That's what eternal life is. It's not just living forever. Living forever means I could live anywhere. Eternal life is I am with God forever. That's the one thing that John said you can know. But there were four things in this section. That was the most important. That was the primary. That's why we spent so much time on it. But there were three other things that are just as important for him to remind them as he's closing out this letter. So if you go back to John chapter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 18, you, can, you read, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. What is the truth that John is trying to communicate to the people of God here? Number one, we can know how we are supposed to live. We can know what God expects of us while we continue to walk on this earth. John said, everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. So your mode of operation, your act of living should be to walk every single day with the intent that I am going to do absolutely everything I can to bring honor and glory to the Father and I'm going to try very hard with all of my strength, depending on the power of the Holy Spirit where my strength fails... To not sin. One of the things that eats me up. Now has to do with the fact that I'm Wesleyan Arminian in my theology. But it eats me up. When I hear people say oh I'm a sinner saved by grace. Because guess what? I am not a sinner saved by grace. I am a child of God who no longer has to sin. Because the power of the Almighty resides within me. Giving me the ability to live beyond what the world lives like. If all I did was get a ticket out of hell, if that's all I got was a free get out of jail free card when I became a Christian, that is not worth living for for me. I need to know that I can live a life where I don't have to go to bed with regrets or fear or anxiety because, oh, I didn't live my life right. I also know when I sin because believe me, I have not gone the last 42 years without sinning. When I sin, I know it because the Holy Spirit says, excuse me, mm, this is not how you're supposed to be living and you know it. See, John is saying to these people, not only do you get a a promise of forever with God, but there is a responsibility as a brother and a sister in Jesus that you have to live a certain way. Why? Because... The way you live speaks to how God interacts with you. And as people watch your life, they will be wooed by God to receive him for themselves. If they see nothing different about you, then why should they be drawn to Jesus? And the other thing that's so cool, look at the last part of verse 18. And it's kind of confusing the way it's done in English. It says, he who was born of God protects him, the believer. And the evil one does not touch the believer. Well, 
who was born of God? I thought I was born of God. I thought I was a child. And see, scholars have said, no, that's not what they're talking about. Look at it. It's a, it is intentionally that it is was born, not is born of God. And at that point in time, that idea of being was born is, is pointing to the only begotten Son of God who was born of God from before all time. He was born of God. We are born of God. And that's what the scholars say that they understand. So what John is saying here is that everyone who's been born of God doesn't keep on sinning, but Jesus, who was the only, who is the only begotten Son of God, but who was born of God, Jesus protects that person, that believer. And the evil one does not touch him. That's a pretty significant promise. And again, it goes back to that, again, the thing that bothers me so much. Oh, the devil made me do it. The devil has been on my back all week. No, he hasn't. You have authority. You have authority by the presence of the Almighty God in you to say, get behind me, Satan. You have no right here and no access to this life. I return you to the Father. Now, that doesn't mean you do it. You do it under the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit. But you do not have to live oppressed. You do not have to live with a woe is me. The enemy's always trying to beat me up. It's always so hard. No, you're supposed to be living victorious lives. Empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Not sinning. Because as the world watches, they need to see you walking on water. They need to see you as you go through the trials and the torments of life that you seem to not have anxiety. You seem to not be frustrated. And you go, oh no, you don't understand. I have spent many, many hours on my face with my face in the carpet before my God pleading with Him. But He has given me an assurance that He has heard me and I trust Him with the outcome. And that's me walking on water. That's not my power. That's me having spent time with the Father. Bringing before him my concerns, trusting them to him, and leaving them in his care. That's how I'm expected to live according to the first, to this letter in 1st John. We don't sin, and we trust the one who's protecting us. See why I said that I was looking forward to this sermon? (laughs) We talked about it this morning. Number three, verse 19 says, we know, this is the third no. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is the one that's not so fun. This is the one where I don't necessarily feel, oh, I really am glad to know that. Because what it literally means is I get to be odd man out. And for somebody... A human being whom the enemy kept me in bondage to the fear of rejection for 40 plus years. Being odd man out in society is not a comfortable or fun thing for me. I want to be loved. I want to be accepted. I want people to find me good and pleasant and and honored. And I want people to like me. But when light shines in darkness, the critters that live in darkness scurry further into the dark. 
because they don't want their deeds to be exposed. And guess what, child of God, believer in Jesus who has eternal life and the power to live above sin? One of the other things that you you need to know is that you are not of this world. Therefore, you don't live like the world. Therefore, you are odd man out because God is shining the light of God through you to the community around you so that they can be wooed and drawn by the Holy Spirit of God to have right relationship. And the concern and problem is you are odd because of it. It's just the way it is. And if you don't walk in that with your head held high with integrity, it's as if the enemy has already over has already defeated you in your witness. I think we're good with that. I'll move on. The fourth no. Chapter 5, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. We are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. What is this fourth no that we can have or that we we should have? Is that the Holy Spirit, which if you look in Galatians chapter 4, is Jesus' spirit. Jesus being present with us, the spirit of the Son, it says in Galatians chapter 4. The Holy Spirit of God is within us, guiding us into all truth, pointing us and confirming in us that God is real. I've shared this story with you. I don't need to go into it again. But let me just remind you, when my cousin had what we thought was having a heart attack, and we drove him to Denver, and we were sitting in the emergency room. with I was sitting there with his wife, and he was in with the doctors. And we, she wasn't a Christian. He's not a Christian. And we got onto the conversation of what, is it, what does it mean to trust God, and who is God? And God prompted me to say to my cousin's wife, well, just ask him who he is. He'll reveal himself to you. And then inside, I was screaming, but what if she hears wrong? And the Holy Spirit said, you don't think I'm able? If somebody actually seriously comes to me and says, who are you, that I can't reveal myself to them and that they can't recognize the truth? And what I think John is saying to us with that understanding is that God himself is confirming in your own spirit that this is all true. You don't necessarily have to have this memorized backwards, forwards, inside and out and study it backwards and forward to know that to know that you know that you know that this is real. And, and I've said this many times, when you are given the opportunity to tell somebody about what you know, don't freak out because you can't spout this chapter and verse. Tell them what you know. From the moment I came into right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, He has been present with me. He has guided me. He has strengthened me. He has called me out when I have messed up. He's present. He's active in my life. That's what I know. And it doesn't matter what any other teacher out there teaches. I am not being persuaded beyond that which I know from the witness of God's Holy Spirit. 
So what are the four no's? John wants us to know that we have eternal life. John wants us to know how we are to live and as we live, know that we are protected by the very one who is overall. He wants us to know that we are called to live separately from the world while we live in the world. He wants us to know that you don't have to be afraid of any other quote-unquote truth that's out there because the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth and you will know that you are serving the right and true and only God. And remember I said at the very beginning that it was very expensive for John to uh, write this letter? And, and the whole time as we've been studying it, we've known that this letter was written to Christians. It was written by a Christian to Christians for the edification of Christians. And the, the last few inches of, of this vellum, this parchment, he has spent saying, know this, know this, know this, know this. And then he puts on one last sentence. And what is it? Little children, keep yourself from idols. What? What? There is a caution, even for Christians. You have a responsibility to own that which you, what you're supposed to know. You have a responsibility to live out that which you know. And if you allow anything to take the place that is rightfully God's in your life, it becomes an idol, it draws you away from truth, and the word of God, we've already looked at it, the word of God warns against apostasy, falling away from the truth. And so as we walk this life, as we live out this calling that God has on us, as we walk hand in hand with our Father, knowing that he's guiding us and leading us and setting us up as a light and giving us the power to live, we also need to know that the enemy of our souls is working very diligently trying to find ways to trip us up and destroy the work of God in our lives. And we need to guard against that. Watch out for the little foxes. Because most of the time for those of us who have been a Christian for any length of time, we're not going to ever be tempted to murder anybody. We're not going to be tempted to steal. But you might lie. Because that one's easy. It doesn't take a lot of thought. It might become jealous or envious or covetous. You might even profane God's word or God's, God's name. And these are the things we need to guard against. And literally, it's, it's, it's like setting up a hedge of protection around yourself. One of the things I appreciate so much about being a Wesleyan Arminian in my theology is that I believe in living a holy and pure life before the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only do I believe that the Holy Spirit of God has cleansed me from all unrighteousness and made my carnal nature come into right relationship with God, but I believe that God calls me to live my life in such a way that it is pleasing to God and living a holy life. 
And I have said this many, many times before. I set up a barrier way before the edge of the temptation. So that I don't even get close to that edge of temptation. Or at least I try hard not to. But if I'm not careful, sometimes I let a little breach happen in my barrier. And I kind of wander over a little bit just to take a look over to see what it's like over there. Because it's been so long. I haven't been over there in a long time. And it's that that John is saying to them. The very last thing. Know that you got power. Know you got relationship. Know all of these things. But guard yourself. Guard yourself. Live the way you're called to live. And protect yourself so that the enemy... It says Jesus will protect you from the enemy. The enemy can't touch you. That's what the word says right there. Two verses ahead. But there's still a warning. Guard against carelessness. Guard against setting up anything before God. And so that's the end of our story. Father, I ask that you would help each one of us to walk the way that we should be walking, to live the life you've called us to live, and to be sincere, true, real, genuine followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you and praise you for the privilege of doing so. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.